Well, we have a, a great opportunity this morning to open God's Word, and our anchor will be John 13, but as most of you are probably familiar with Palm Sunday, it's actually included in all four Gospels, so pick your poison, right? And hopefully um, it'll work out smooth as I tap into all four Gospels uh, to try to draw from some of the different nuances that some of the different Gospels pull and, and draw from. But it, it reminded me of, of, you know, when I was growing up, I, I didn't attend, you know, plays and musicals and that kind of a deal, right? But what I didn't realize, and what maybe some of you don't realize, is these, these musicals like Les Mis or Phantom of the Opera or My Fair Lady or Fiddler on the Roof, they, they creep into uh, pop culture and TV and, and our jokes, and they really transcend, you know, they go into commercials. And so you hear a song, and you're like, oh, that's a nice little... You know, a nice little ditty, and, and, and you're familiar with it. You don't really know where it came from. You're not intimate with its, you know, real details. And then you go to, like, a, a big play, and you're like, oh, I've heard that song before. Because, you know, these big plays have, like, the one really big song, right, that everybody identifies with the play. But there's, there's sub-songs, too. And they're great. Um, and they're magnificent. But see, that's okay when it's a play that you can't identify where they come from or all the different songs. In the scriptures, though, we have these these powerful moments. And, and we're getting ready to enter into this, this season now where we're the, through the Passion Week and, and getting to the cross that we're going to come across some huge events, massive events, Right? We're, we're going to see Passover is going to shift from Passover to communion with Jesus and his disciples. We're, we're going to see the crucifixion. I mean, the, the, the pinnacle of, of, of Scripture, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see the resurrection. And so while we, we remember and we have like Palm Sunday services and we know the name and we know the triumphal entry How, are, are we familiar with it or are we intimate with it okay we, we kind of know that you know yeah the Palm Sunday was a was a big hit um, but but what are the details that that we really need to to cling to it as usual it's it's God's word and so the depth is um, overwhelming but there's there's four um, critical points that, that I don't want us to miss uh, when we when we talk about when we look at Palm Sunday and and the reason why we don't want to miss them is because we want to absorb the complete blessing of this this miraculous event. This is an amazing event. This is a, a prophetical event that couldn't have just happened, um, and we want to know it in an intimate way. And so the four critical points we we don't want to miss. The first one is we don't want to miss. The peaceful salvation. There's a peaceful salvation here. The second critical event is a prophetical fulfillment is taking place. The third critical point is messianic acceptance. And then the final point is we see a clarifying 
mission, a clarifying mission. So remember, uh, it's just a little background that God has a predetermined plan. Okay, th this is a predetermined plan. This is this is not a mistake. Jesus didn't just walk into town and, you know, surprise uh, a coronation for a king. Surprise um, a trial and a death. Surprise a resurrection. None of this is, is a surprise to Jesus. None of this is a surprise to God. It's, it's a predetermined plan. And what is that plan? The big picture plan is to redeem souls. To, to bring us back to that point of redemption with our Savior. Why? Because our sin has broken relationship. Our sin brings shame. It brings separation. No different than when we sin to each other. It's, a, it's an amazing uh, illustration. When, when we commit sin to each other, we, you know, and it doesn't, the, the, the person who offends, even though they know they're, in, they're caught in their trespass, they want to flee. They want to run away. Their heart gets harder, right? It, it's, this is why the process of confession and asking for forgiveness and granting for forgiveness is such a beautiful thing and really only a God-ordained thing because man on his own would never do it. But God had this plan. And, and what's taking place here is as Jesus is coming into the city, the whole city is just, it, it's a buzz. Okay, there, there's things happening. Now you've, you've got a picture, which again is very hard for us, but the best thing I could think of was like the Puyallup Fair. If look, once a year, we all had to go to the Puyallup Fair. Right? You, you have, I mean, we all try to avoid it now, probably, or go on the, the slow days. It's like, no, you have to go when it's the busiest, there's no parking, the lines are the longest, elbow to elbow, every line in the food snack lines are, are you know, around the corner, right? I mean, just imagine the, the pinnacle of, of this. And everywhere you go, people are, are talking about this Jesus guy. Have you heard about him? Whatever, that he walked on water? No, he, he turned water into wine. No, he, he, this guy heals people. What do you mean? Deaf people, blind people, withered hand, leprosy. Who, who is this guy? What did you hear? What did you see? Uh, the, the, the town's a, a buzz, but here's the thing. Here's the kicker. They're familiar with Jesus, right? They're becoming more familiar with Jesus, but they're not intimate. Who's not intimate? Well, we'll find out. Nobody. Um, the Jews, they kind of have heard about him, but don't really get it. Uh, the apostles still are still not connecting the dots. The Pharisees definitely don't. In fact, they want to kill him. Um, and so this is kind of the, the, the setting for Palm Sunday. And so, if you're not already there, turn with me to John chapter 12, and, and thanks, Jim, for reading Matthew. Um, not a lot of verses, but, but powerful verses. John 12, 9 through 11. The great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also, 
because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. And so the, the town's abuzz. There's this great multitude. They, they want to see the guy who rose from the dead. They want to see Jesus too. They, 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 they want to see, see more. And, and so you have some who are just, this is an amazing event. And yet you have others, the chief priests who, after taking counsel together, they decide that the best thing to do in this situation is, is to, let's find a way to kill Lazarus. These are the religious guys, okay? Shows you where we're at right now, okay, in, in, this, in, in this setup. Um, verse 12. And why, by the way? Because they were believing in Jesus. Again, you, you have to understand this is a this is their business. This is their their careers. This is um, how they make a living. And Jesus is drawing Jews away from synagogue, away from the chief priests, away from the traditional uh, Jewish system. And so their um, the whole purpose and reason for this is because Jesus is 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 stirring up attention and drawing people to him. On the next day, the great multitude. Who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry out Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel and Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it as it is written Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. And so the multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were bearing him witness for this cause also the multitude went and and met him because they heard that he performed this sign this sign the pharisee therefore said to one another you see that you are not doing any good look the world has gone after him so what's taking place here what is it that we're missing we're all familiar with this right i mean i i would venture to say anybody could get up and if I said, give, give, me, give me a little synopsis of, of Palm Sunday. I think everybody would say, big crowd, Jesus in Jerusalem. He walks in, the palm trees, Hosanna in the highest. Pharisees don't like him, right? Okay, that's, that's some little bullet points. But what are we missing? Well, the first critical point is uh, that we don't want to miss is that there's a peaceful salvation coming down the road. Well, how so? Well, we see this, this, this journey of Jesus now, and he's, he's walking into town, and these people take branches of palm trees, and they cry out, Hosanna, meaning blessed, or, you know, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So here they are coronating the coronation of the new king of Israel. Um, and Jesus is riding on a donkey. Now, to you and me, that seems 
very odd, right? Again, especially if you can picture a grown man on a donkey, that would seem even odder. Because that doesn't seem like the way a king would ride into town, right? You would think of like this big giant, you know, horse that, you know, had muscles ripping out of it. And, you know, and, you know, even the horse would strut, right? You know, as it came into town with the king. Well, the thing is, is this isn't just like a donkey. Um, there's a prophetical point here. Um, the prof- so John 12, 15 talks about um, this, this donkey is the ushering in of, of the coming of the king. We see it in Matthew 21, 1 through 6. We see it in Mark 11, 1 through 3. We see it in Luke 19, 29 through 39. Okay, and so this is the king coming down the, 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 the path, riding a donkey. You've, you've probably and are probably familiar, well, this was, was part of the humility of Jesus and Jesus being a, a humble king. But there's, there's even more to that. He's coming in as a king. He's totally unarmed. He's, he's not on, on the, the, the war horse for the coronation. This has Old Testament implications. 1 Kings 1.33, Solomon, when he was king, came riding in on a donkey. The tradition of the kings and the princesses, for some reason, when it was a time of peace, was to ride donkeys. <laughs> and so we see in Judges 5.10, Judges 10.4, uh, Judges 12, 14, 2 Samuel 16, 12. We'll see like, you know, hey, he had nine, nine sons and nine sons rode on donkeys. And he had 14 sons and 14 sons rode on donkeys. And all of this was to do two things. One was these, this was the, the royal house, the king and the princes. But it was also this time of peace. It was during a time of peace that they could frolic about on donkeys. They were not at war. They were in, in a time of peace. And so Jesus is making this point now. Here comes Jesus bringing in salvation, not with the sword, but with peace. And again, you have to understand what's taking place at this time. Jerusalem is an occupied city, Rome. Rome has conquered Jerusalem. You've got a foreign, foreign government. Uh, it's military oppression. Right, And as a Jew who wants to worship their own Jewish king, how can you do that when you've got Caesar as your, as your leader? You can't. And so in the minds of the Jews, all they can see at this point is we've got to get Rome out. And the only way to get Rome out is you've got to defeat them. You've got to fight them. And so anything other than that is just beyond comprehension for the people of Israel. And yet here comes this king acting as though it's a time of peace. It's not a time of war, and he's, he rides in on a donkey. Um, kings, after military victories, would, would go through the gates on, on that, that war horse. We, we are going to see this in Revelation 19. In fact, and you may ask yourself, yeah, why does Jesus 
Why is the prophecy of Jesus from Revelation him coming back on a horse? Why isn't he coming back on a dragon? Why isn't he coming back on a you know you know a dinosaur? So why is it? Because it all ties in. Uh, God ties all this stuff in. In the Middle Eastern world, um, they had that tradition of of kind of the the donkeys in peace, and so that that's that's where they they got it from. But it's very interesting kind of uh, symbolism that, that you see here. Again, though, this is not a military conquest. This is uh, uh, the kingdom of God because that's what, what Jesus is, is, is talking about. He's talking about as he's preaching and as he's explaining to the, his followers you know, that he is going to establish this future kingdom of God. And what he's really talking about, what he's really trying to demonstrate here is a demonstration of grace, not not of military power. And so it's not a mistake um, that Jesus comes in uh, riding a donkey for this this symbolism of of peaceful salvation. It's all part of the glorious process of, of our king who has a plan to save and redeem people. Now, here's the thing that's hard for us. We know the end of the story. So it's very, very difficult for us to pretend like we don't know what's coming. They have no idea the cross is coming, right? So, so th- this is blowing their minds away because they just don't understand it. They don't get it. it. It's not fitting into any part of their, their puzzle other than they've, well, they've heard about this. And so the second critical point not to miss is that this is actual prophetical fulfillment. God is in sovereign control. This isn't just like some random act that the day before Jesus thought, I've got an idea, I'm going to ride in on a donkey. That'll set everything up. No, this is actually uh, predicted. We, we see elements of it in Daniel uh, chapter 9, where 483 years before the, you know, this event takes place, we, we see the depiction of the end of sin coming. Uh, by how? By making atonement for iniquity. Because of sin, there needs to be atonement. An everlasting righteousness is coming to seal up the prophecy, to uh, be anointed in the most holy place. Why? To restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And so, Old Testament Jews, Pharisees, should, should, should know and be waiting and hoping and praying for this expectation, for this this. this peace and atonement but again the only thing that they can think about is the military side of the peace and they forget about the spiritual side which is very very clearly laid out again uh, Jesus states in Matthew 21 4 he he refers to Zechariah 9 9 Jesus himself gives reference to Zechariah 9 9 and and the king on a donkey and and a king would be in Zechariah 9.9, the king would be righteous. A king who was going to bring salvation. Salvation and be gentle. Again, a, 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 a pointing to a peaceful salvation. Rather than writing to conquer, the, the, this king is coming to bring peace. Now, I love the, the, the symbolism here in Zechariah 9.9. 
the bow will be broken. Right? The battle bow, the bow and arrow, you know, that would be like your, you know, your, your gun. It's broken. Why? Because it's a time of peace. There, there, this is not a military conquest. There's going to be peace to the nations. Rule will extend from sea to sea, river to the ends of the earth. And so this is the future hope and promise that Israel is, is, is anchoring its, its future belief on. And Jesus said, this is happening now. Remember Zechariah? It's happening right now. It's taking place. And so the, the coming in and the riding on the donkey is all part of a prophetical fulfillment. A beautiful prophetical fulfillment that, that really marks this, this amazing prophecy of, of the God King who's going to come. But the problem is, is Israel, they're missing it. And most of Israel is going to miss it entirely. And again, a big part of that is because what we see quite often a lot of Old Testament prophecy, especially Messianic prophecy, is the entire fulfillment hasn't been fulfilled, right? And we have revelation that we see there's still more to come. And so you can understand why uh, that would be difficult for them. One of the key issues is Jesus is coming in to fulfill a spiritual, uh, a spiritual fulfillment versus a physical one in his kingship. So he's coming in to, to make sure to take care of the end of sin and the making of atonement for iniquity and everlasting righteousness. Um, but again, like man is prone to do, we kind of just pick and choose what we want to hear. And all they can hear is broken bows and peace to see to see. And, and the best part of the promise was you're going to be saved from your sin. Right? And somehow that's not the most important part to them. It, it kind of made me think even today, you know, when, when we think in terms of, of, of Jesus is going to bless you. And, and does your mind immediately go to blessing me with the comforts of no trial, of, of no fear, no anxiety, no problems with money, right? Do, do we think about those things or do, or do we immediately or are we just so thankful and grateful that that our sin is is forgiven that God is gracious and merciful and I'm I'm so caught up in that and so overwhelmed that Jesus would die for my sins that's the only thing I can think about I don't have time to think about money or how bad it is at work or or just all the other random stuff that we get all worked up about, right? Um, the important thing, the most important thing in your life is that somebody's paid the price for your sin. Um, the third critical point not to miss about Palm Sunday is uh, messianic acceptance. In Matthew 21, you can turn back with me uh, to Matthew 21. Starting at, uh, at verse 9, 
And the multitudes going before him and those who followed after him were crying out saying, Hosanna to the son of David, the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the multitudes were saying, well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. And so here we are, we're, we're at this, the, this pinnacle of excitement. Jesus has come in. This huge crowd is, has, has laid down you know, branches and, and, and they're, they're yelling and they're screaming, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Everybody's all crazy and worked up. And it's like, you know, and somebody goes, hey, who is this guy? <laughs> Not exactly like that. But at the, after this excitement, the question started, well, who exactly is Jesus? Well, we just got done like worshiping and coronating him as the king. And yet there's still this big question of, yeah, but who is he? And then remember, and you've got to you've got to visualize this. They're doing things as though he's the king, and the answer from the multitude is he's a prophet. These are two different, two different offices, right? There's a big difference between being a king and being a prophet. In the Old Testament, we saw quite often that there was a king and there was a prophet. And these are two separate offices and two separate people. And so in essence, they don't know who, who they have on their hand. They don't know if they've got the conquering king who's going to come defeat Rome, or do they have this, this Bible teacher, a prophet, a guy who, who speaks about things to come. They don't know. They, you know they're, they're, they're puzzled. Well, again, Matthew 21, verse 5, say to the, the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Um, this is what Jesus says, backing up to verse 13 or verse 3. Remember, Jesus says, go and get me a donkey. And if anyone, verse 3, if anyone says something to you, you shall say this. This is Jesus making a declaration. The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Now this took place. That was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Your king is coming. And I'm skipping ahead to verse 13. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. By, and, and you are making it a robber's den. Remember he goes into the, to the temple and, and in the temple and, and the, the outer part of the, of the corridor of the temple they've got all kinds of, of booze and people are selling things and they're ripping... They're, they're selling the unblemished lambs and they're overpricing for the unblemished lamb. And, you know, you're, you're going, you're taking in your little lamb that you, you know, thought you were going to give as, as an offering. And, you know, the, the fat checker, you know, the guy goes, no, this isn't good. You, there's a blemish. You have to buy ours at a premium price. Okay. So there's different scales and going on. It's, it's, it's a terrible place. It's a place, a house of robbers. And, and Jesus says, this, this is my house. So who is this? Who is this Jesus? This is the coming king whose house is the temple. Flashback. Whose house is the temple in the Old Testament? 
who resides in the temple of the tabernacle? God himself and only God, the Holy of Holies. This is a, a, a major de- declaration, a major declaration. And so this triumphal entry marks the, the coronation, not only of the king, but the acceptance then of, of Messiah. Messiah is different than just another king. Now, now we start to see how this makes more sense. See, a king can just be the, the, the leader of Israel, but the Messiah was then the combination of the God king. And what is the God king going to do with the Messiah? He's going to, to save people. And so back to uh, John chapter 12, when we go back to John chapter 12, and we kind of unpack this uh, a little bit, we look at something like verse 13, Hosanna, stop. Just like when we were singing this morning about hallelujah, right? We say these things, we have no idea what they mean. We just say them. We sing them, we say them. But these words have, have meaning. And so, Hosanna then comes from from the Hebrew word, um, and it's a, and it's a compacted com- combined name. And so one of the things that we have to get our arms wrapped around is, at one point in time when we're when we're translating the the, the Bible, we've got the Old Testament and the Hebrew. At the end of the Old Testament, we have the Aramaic, and then the New Testament's in the Greek. Well, one of the first translations of the Bible is the uh, uh, the Greek Septuagint. So the whole Bible was translated in, into Greek. Okay, so it's pretty cool because then all you need to do is learn Greek. <laughs> you don't have to learn Hebrew or Aramaic to translate. But but in doing this, we see a lot of these word combinations that kind of help us out here. So uh, Joshua or Je- Jehoshua, Jehoshua means Joshua, right? And it means he saves. It, it's the same name that's associated with Jesus. Okay, it's, it's, it's a name of salvation. Save us. Uh, Yash means deliver us. So you're delivering us. You're saving us. It's, uh, again, in the Hebrew, it's, it's the idea of, of deliverance. Okay? And so Anna means to beg or to beseech. So when we put these together, it, it's saying the people are really screaming out, we beg you, we beseech you, please come and save us. That's what they're yelling out. Save us, Jesus, save us. Now think about this is different than praising somebody for how awesome you are, right? Versus do something for us Um, help us save us so when Jesus comes in he's not just coming in you know as a king but he's coming in as this this Messiah king and they're accepting him as that Messiah king the son of David the son of David and more importantly Jesus accepts it Jesus accepts this this worship Remember, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, there is nothing more important than this idea of, of, 
of, of Monarchs and this idea of, but there's one God and one God alone. Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema. There's only one God and one God alone. It's what makes the Hebrew religion distinct from all the other religions in the Middle East, all the different Greek gods that were going on in Egypt. I'm not Greek gods, all the different gods going on in Egypt, all the different gods and idols that were worshipped with the the Philistines and the Canaanites. When you move into the New Testament, you've got Rome and Greek, and they've got all kinds of gods that they're worshiping. The thing that makes Israel so unique is you will worship one God and one God alone, and that God is the triune Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is very, very uh, careful during his time of ministry uh, about this idea of, of being worshiped. And all of a sudden, he comes into town, and all of that is about to change. Why is it about to change? Well, again, remember, Jesus wears many hats. In fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, are four Gospels. They have different perspectives that they're trying to highlight of who Jesus is. So in Matthew, Matthew is going to give us the story of Jesus, but he really wants to lay out Jesus as the king. Okay, in uh, Mark, really wants to lay out that Jesus was a man, the Son of Man. In Luke, that Jesus was a perfect man, and then in John, Jesus is the God Man. And so in these four Gospels, we'll see different points of emphasis. Uh, as to who Jesus is. Remember, we just got done studying Hebrews. Uh, Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is the High Priest. Jesus is the King. And so, in these different, these different um, uh, duties or these different roles that Jesus serves... Jesus is pretty good about, in, in a sense, compartmentalizing it, right? And so right now he's on this, this, this mission to serve people, to heal people. He's, he's on a mission to, to disciple and to train. And now as he comes through town, now it's time to, one, establish himself as a messianic king. But then even more importantly, he's going to establish himself as the sacrificial lamb. And in the whole process of the death, burial, and resurrection, firm up that he is the God-man who is going to be resurrected from the dead because of it. A lot of things are going on here, right? A lot, a lot going on. And so the triumphal entry marks a major shift in Jesus's uh, willingness to be worshipped. Remember, you, you may be familiar in the back of your mind where there were times like Mark 7.36 or Matthew 8.4 where you know, he heals people and says, hey, but don't go tell anybody, right? Let's keep this on the down low. And, and so there's a time and a place for, for Jesus that he wanted to reveal certain things. And this is now the time where we're going to start seeing an escalation of Jesus accepting himself uh, as king and accepting uh, worship. Well, the fourth critical point not to miss about Palm Sunday is this is a clarifying mission. A lot of clarity uh, comes out of out of this uh, uh, this section. And so, Luke nineteen thirty nine. 
Uh, when we turn back there and we see that account of, of um, Palm Sunday, again, the people, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 38, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side. What's the clarifying mission? Well, so here's Jesus, and he's coming in, right? And the Pharisees say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. These people are, are worshiping you and, and calling you the king. You, you, need to, to, you need to clarify that, right? This, this is inappropriate behavior. And Jesus does clarify it. And he says, in essence, well... Um, I could do that, but if I did that, then the rocks would say the same thing. Why? Because that is who I am. Um, and so it's, it's always fascinating to see kind of the context. So we'll say things like even the stones will cry out, but then trying to remember we're familiar with things, but we're not intimate, right? And it's like, oh, that's where that's placed. It makes a big difference. Because, again, this is part of the affirmation of who God is as king. And what Jesus is saying here, look, uh, let, let me make one thing straight. It's not just about a few people yelling out that I'm the king. Uh, if you silence the crowd, even the rocks would proclaim and cry out who I am as king. But there's this, you know, there's this great multitude, as we've read, and the, you know, the Jews and the apostles and... Um, you know, they, they're, they're still unclear, you know, turning back to, to John 12, you know, John 12, 16, his disciples didn't even understand. Even his disciples didn't understand. Um, it's crazy to think that, isn't it? That the guys that were sitting with him every day didn't, didn't see what was going on. Remember some of the symbols that we're seeing here. Uh, the symbols of of the palm branches, and, and we have certain familiarity and understanding. But but this was an old Egyptian. This is an old e e Egyptian custom, meaning that the the spiritual triumph over death is what's taking place. Now think about that for a second, because that's really interesting. That they're making this connection with with a spiritual triumph over death. Because that's what Jesus is coming to do, ultimately. He is not coming to conquer Rome. He is coming to conquer sin. He's coming for a spiritual triumph over death. And without really making that connection, that's exactly what they're, what they're doing. Even though they're not fully cognizant, they're not totally clear on what type of king this is, Right? And we've been reading, they're, they're confused because they so want something their way. They want Jesus to be um, the political, the military, and the conquer, 
conquering king, and he, and he just refuses to do it. He refuses to do it. In fact, we see in John 18.36 that his, his kingdom is coming in the future. It's coming. It will be fulfilled. But that's coming in the future. There, there's something else that needs to take place first. Something else that needs to take place first. And, and, and again, what, what is it? What, what, what is this event that we're building up for? Matthew 23. Turn with me to Matthew 23, 37. Because you have to understand the heart of Jesus. This is not just random events. There's a point here. Um, In Luke 19, we read that even the stones would cry out. We read that, that Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem. And what did he do? He wept. He wept. Why? Jesus' heart is broken. He's broken. Why? Because he can see the sin of his people. He can see the rejection of his people. And when he looks out over the crowd, when he looks out over the crowd at the Puyallup Fair, what does he see? Dying souls destined to hell. That's all he can see. He doesn't see cute outfits. He doesn't see, you know, elephant ears. He doesn't see rides. He sees people destined to hell. That's all he can see. It, it brings him to, to, to tears. And, and what do we see here in, in Matthew 23? After he just gives the scathing rebuke to the Pharisees, he, he concludes with, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often? I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Do yourself a favor sometimes. See a, a, a mother hen with chicks. It's a really cool thing, especially if you're picturing Jesus. And, and the way um, we've had, you know, different instances where we had a, you know, where we brought young chicks, you know, that you buy at the store and you have an old hen, right? So, you know, you go to the store and yeah, you know, you buy 15 chicks. Well, it's really cute when this one mother hen tries to mother the 15 chicks and when they're little tiny chicks, no problem. She gets sunder and kind of fluffs herself up and gets them all real close, right? Keeps them warm, keeps them protected. The weird thing is it doesn't take very long where little chicks become bigger chicks. And then you see mom just like fighting and doing everything she can to, to keep the little clutch of hens together. Why? To protect them, to love on them. And so this is that picture that we see Jesus. And, and this is the ultimately the clarifying mission. The clarifying mission is this. That Jesus is coming into town to take care of, of his chicks like a, like a mother hen. He's coming into town because what he can see and what he's weeping over and agonizing over is the sin of Jerusalem. And even though they're praising him and coronating him as king, some think he's a prophet, some think he's a king, some are trying to kill him, right? Even though all this is going on, 
Jesus is fixed on this, this mission. Even though they're, they're missing it. Verse 23. And Jesus answered them, said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. After the dust has settled and the apostles ask him some questions, Philip and you know, Andrew ask Jesus you know, some questions. Jesus says, look, the hour has come. The time has come. It is now for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 27, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. And we'll talk about this um, in more depth uh, on Good Friday. But what's taking place here in these two verses? And um, what we see is there's a time that has come. And this time that has come is the time to save Israel from their sin. And Jesus knows what he's getting ready to do. It's very, very clear to him. And he's even going to the Father. And, you know, we'll, we'll see in Matthew just a beautiful picture of, of the intensity and the, the anxiety that Jesus has about knowing that he's getting ready uh, to be tortured and sacrificed. And yet he knows that, that this is the hour. Verse 27. But for this purpose I came to this hour. This is the purpose. This is why I came. The clarifying mission, the purpose of the mission is to come into town to make sacrifice for sin. During a time when we're going to celebrate the passing over, the Passover celebration, when the angel of death passes over each house in Egypt because of the blood painted over the mantle, because of their faith that they have in God to save them from that, that judgment Jesus is getting ready to come in and become the sacrificial lamb who will save people from the judgment and the wrath of God because of their sin forever by dying on the cross. And so that then is the, 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 the if, if there were gates, if there was a, a marquee board and as the gates opened up and, and, and the marquee board came down and was explaining what is getting ready to take place it would be the beginning of the end right remember what Jesus says uh, right before he dies it is finished the mission is completed the mission is finished and so Palm Sunday clarifies the bigger mission and the purpose a king of peace who brings salvation peaceful salvation uh, the promise of the one the one that we see throughout the old testament through the prophecies as as the god king the messiah who is going to save sinners with his own blood let's pray